Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. When I open up my mouth, miracles come breaking out. I don't know if you just opened your mouth to sing this morning, but do you understand when you're singing the Word of God, the power that is behind the Word of God? Like God is not going to move just now when I open His Word to teach from His Word. You just sang His Word. So why don't we just pray for a moment? Just still ourselves before Him. For Heavenly Father, I thank You that the atmosphere is already set in this place. That Lord God, that... Miracles are already breaking out. Circumstances have already began to change. You have already begun to answer the prayers and the questions that people have come into this place with, Lord, because your word has been opened and your word has been sung. And as we lift high the name of Jesus and declare your power and your lordship and your authority in this place, God, we just stand in your presence, in awe of who you are and the very fact that you, good God that you are, would want to speak into our lives and concern yourself with our situation. God, I pray that our hearts lean into you today, that we may hear what it is you have to say to our lives individually. We ask all of this in your precious name. Amen and amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Go ahead and take your seats. Well, welcome to church, whether you are online watching us, we love you, we welcome you, or whether you are in the room with us personally, we are so glad that you have stepped into the house of God today. And I just cannot go forward with this message until I first say to this lady here, you look stunning. Can, can you stand up and just let everybody have a little look, please? It's her birthday, and I think that deserves a massive round of applause. Hey, my friend, you deserve to be celebrated, and there is a crown far greater than that sat on your head and you are worthy of it. Go ahead, take your seat. We love you. I love that people can come to church and just be themselves. Um, We're in the middle of our legacy series. What a great series it's been. I don't know about you, but every week I've gone away, and it's really given me food for thought about my own personal life. And um, you know, building a legacy, it's about building a life that matters doing something with your life that really, really counts, living your life intentionally. I don't know if you've ever thought about your life. It doesn't matter if you were part of the youth or you were in the latter stages of your life. What you do with your life today, tomorrow, directly affects the people around you and those coming up behind you. What are you going to be remembered for when you leave this earth? How you live out your life matters So I want to talk to you this morning around the subject of distraction. Anybody know what it's like to be distracted? In fact, I've called this the traction 
of distraction. Because if you are anything like me, like I, every day that I get up, I'm intentional. I know, you know, when you've got a busy life going on, I know what I need to achieve, accomplish, and get done every single day. Usually when I go to bed the night before, it's planned in my mind, it's in my diary, my clothes are set out, I know where I need to be, who I need to be with, what needs answering, what needs responding, what needs achieving that day. I am organized in that way. But more often than not, what happens is I end up getting into a conversation with someone I didn't need to be getting into. And now my mind is being distracted by whatever thoughts they've just planted in my mind. I take a phone call that I wish I hadn't have taken. I end up going to a place I never intended to go to. I spend money I never intended on spending money. And by the time I get to the end of the day, I have not achieved or accomplished the things that I was intentional on doing at eight o'clock that morning. And so I end up doing life a little bit frustrated. Your attention is extremely powerful because it determines the course of your future. Wherever your attention is, your future will follow. So it's really extremely important where you put your attention. And if you allow your attention to be diverted or distracted, then you stand less chance of achieving your desired future. Because I think if I was to ask everyone in this room, we've all got something that we are dreaming for, hoping for, expecting for, a way of life. It might be to do with your personal circumstances. I want to be fitter. I want to be healthier. I want to eat less sugar. It might be something to do with your family, somewhere where you want to get your children to. It might be to do with your career. It might be to do with your faith life, your church life. But I don't think any of us want to stay exactly where we are. We've got plans for our future, for our tomorrow. And if you allow yourself to be distracted it will detract you from achieving what it is you want to do with your life. It's kind of like the child who's at school ready to sit exams and the teacher is saying to them, you need to focus, you need to concentrate, you know, because you need to get these exams done. And the child comes home and says, she hates me, she's always picking on me, she's just having a go at me. Then they fail the exam. And then you realize actually what the teacher was telling you was concentrate now because passing these exams will determine the course of your future. It will determine what kind of work you can do, what kind of job you can do will determine your income and therefore it will determine your lifestyle. And so when you waste time fooling around, allowing yourself to be distracted, you stand less chance of achieving the future that you really want to achieve. One of the oldest Psalms that's written is Psalm 19. It was actually written by Moses. And Moses is talking to God and he says this. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. The meaning of this Psalm is not just so you can count down the days that you have left. It really means teach me to use the time that I have on earth 
purposefully and intentionally. And I think that if we all applied that verse to our life, it would drastically change our approach to life. For the lie that we all believe is today will be the same as yesterday and tomorrow is always coming. But the truth is you and I have a sell-by date. The truth is we do life on a timeline. And every moment of every day, you're getting closer to the end of that timeline. Now, don't be depressed with me today. That is just the truth. The first part of the scripture says, teach us to number our days. And what Moses is actually saying to the Lord here is teach me to be mindful with the time that I have because I know that I'm living life by the clock. The second part says, so that I may gain wisdom, so that I may get a heart of wisdom. Those two pieces of scripture go hand in hand because if all we ever did was mark the days we had left, think about our time, we would, some of us would be quite depressed. And so the two go hand in hand because actually what he's saying is, teach me how to live life. Wisdom is actually being aware of the time that I have and living life with intentionality and sensibility. Being sensible with what you have. I love the way Dr. Darius Daniels refers to attention. He says our attention is like money because we spend them both the same way. You see, we use this phrase, don't we? Are you paying attention? And I began to think about that. And I began to think how you can use money wisely or you can fritter it away foolishly. And the same can be said of your attention. Whatever you spend your finances on today determines how you live tomorrow In the same can be said, whatever you pay attention to today determines the direction of your future. So, in other words, both things will say you get what you pay for. You're going to get with your money what you pay for. You're going to get out of life what you pay attention to. Now, we know when we spend our money, most of us, we know what we're getting for the money that we spend. If I pay for a Netflix subscription, I know that I am getting an endless supply of movies with the finance that I've put down. But we don't always know what we're getting for our attention. For the currency of attention is time. And once you've spent it, You can't get that back. And some of you are frittering it away and it's costing you a fortune in the same way that you can go and spend money on things you don't really need and leave yourself short of cash for the things you do really need. So too can be said of your time and attention. You give your attention over to the wrong thing and it will take years off your life. You can spend years chasing a pipe dream, years copying, years 
envying somebody else, wanting what. And all of the time, you're wasting precious time, not going after the things of life that really matter. When your attention is diverted, or it's called distraction, and it's time when you get distracted, that is time that you can never get back again. And the enemy knows that about your life too. The enemy, the devil, Satan, he does not want to obliterate you from the earth. It's not what he wants. He's not setting out to take your life from you, but he is intentional on stealing time from you because he knows that God has called you for a specific purpose upon the earth. You're here today to do something, to accomplish something because God has birthed his purpose in you. So if he can distract you, he knows that you will ruin you. You will ruin you because if he can distract you, you will eventually run out of time to do all that God has called you to do. And so he knows that if you're distracted, you will never fulfill your purpose. Now, I want to take you to a character in the Bible. His name is Nehemiah. And I was actually trying to think if I've ever preached on Nehemiah before. Um, if, it, if I have, it must have been such a long time ago. One thing that I love about this book is that Nehemiah writes the book of Nehemiah in the first person. So he's writing it about himself. There's not many books in the Bible where the character actually writes about himself. But I just think his story is one of, it's so rich in purpose. Like he knew what God wanted him to do with his life and he refused to allow himself to be distracted. So we're going to go through his story in part. But just to give you a little bit of context of where we're starting out. Nehemiah was a Jewish man, and he worked in the Persian palace for the Persian king. And so he was not in Jerusalem. He's not in Israel. He's in the land of Persia. And he has a job, and his job is to be a cupbearer to the king. He was a servant. He was the wine taster. That's what he did. He had a really good job. And this is around a period of time in history where the Jewish nation had been Um, They'd been in captivity to Babylon, and that season is over, and now a remnant of the Jewish nation is starting to go back to Israel and, and, and make a home in Jerusalem once again. But Nehemiah has not gone back. He has a great job in Persia serving the king in the palace. But one day, his friend comes to visit him. So Nehemiah asks him, hey, how's it going back home? How's it going in Jerusalem? How are the people? How's the morale? What state's the city in? Is it all good? And the report that Nehemiah got back was not a good report. His friend said to him, actually, Jerusalem is a really sad place to be right now. The people are lost. They are leaderless. The morale is really low. He said the city got burnt to the ground. The walls were all destroyed and they've crumbled and fallen. He said, actually, Jerusalem is a really fearful place to be right now. And in Nehemiah 1, verse 4, Nehemiah writes, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, frustrated, and I prayed to the God, to God in heaven. So here's a man who's living in luxury. He's living in a Persian palace 
with all the comforts of what it is to live in the palace quarters. He's got fine dining every day. He's got a great standard of living. He has an excellent job. And yet, he's heartbroken for the state of his home city and the people. So he is a man whose life is blessed personally, but now he's personally burdened for something that actually doesn't directly affect him. It doesn't directly affect him because Nehemiah's life's in a great place, right? He has finances, food, comfort, a little taste of luxury. But he's burdened for the people of his hometown and his city, Israel, because they are living in ruins. This is why I want you to see why Nehemiah was burdened. Jerusalem had always been known as the city of God. It was always known as the city where you could find God or be close to God. Now, the reason that some cities had walls around them in those days, they were known as fortified cities, and they had walls around them because those walls spoke of the city's greatness. If a city did not have walls around it, it was known as a city of shame. But if a city had walls around it, it meant that it would keep the people protected from adverse weather conditions. It would stop wild animals from straying into the city. But it would also protect the city from any opposing people that would want to attack them. And so a fortified city was a great city. And I personally believe that Nehemiah was burdened with this weight because that which was once known as a Um, as the home of God, the city of God, was now known as a city of shame. And it weighed heavy on him. In verse 5, Nehemiah begins to pray. And what he does, he starts by repenting on behalf of the people on his nation for some things that they didn't do and they hadn't put in order. And you can go away and you can read the prayer for himself, for yourself. But in essence, what his prayer says, he ends by sort of saying, in essence, he's saying, show me, Lord, what I can do in this situation. Show me, Lord, what I can do in this situation. Do you know how many people pray? You pray for God to intervene. You pray, God, we need a miracle. Lord, we need the windows of heaven to open over us. God, we need a financial breakthrough. God, we need a relational reconciliation. God, we need you to step into the gap. And we pray, and then we go away and get on with our day. But Nehemiah prayed a prayer And then he said, God, show me how I can be part of the solution to the situation that I'm praying about. Because Nehemiah understood that God always needs people to work through, to bring about the answer or the miracle. So be careful what you pray for, because I could pretty much guarantee that God is going to want you to be part of the solution to the situation that you are praying about. So Nehemiah begins to consider his own life placement. He's like, I'm here. My life is good. I'm not directly affected by this problem. My life is comfortable. I'm actually really happy where I am. And the king 
really likes me. The king is really pleased for my work, but I feel compelled to go back to Jerusalem and make a difference. But I don't think that the king is going to release me. And so he begins to pray. And he prays to God that he might find favor with the king. Listen to the prayer that he prays. It's so long. Dear God, put it on the king's heart to be kind to me. Do you know how we overcomplicate prayer? Like sometimes I think God's like filing his nails. I go and put the kettle on. It's just like get to the point. You've got so many words that you're saying over and over again, but what's the point of your prayer? Nehemiah just gets to the point. God, I need the king to be favorable to me. I'm asking you, God, please make the king be kind to me. I don't know what your boss is like in work. I don't know what the man is like that you live with. I don't know what your relationship is with your parents or with your kids or your neighbors. But do you know you can pray to God to turn the hearts of people that don't even know him to be favorable to you and kind to you in your situation? So rather than complaining about the spouse and moaning about the work situation, why don't you just open your mouth and say, Lord, I'm just praying that my boss will be kind to me this week because that's all Nehemiah did because he knew that in order for him to go and be part of the solution to the problem that was in Jerusalem, he was going to need releasing to the palace and releasing into purpose. Can I just say when you are ready to step up and step out into the work that God has for your life, He knows what you need releasing from and he knows what you're releasing to. But some of you are too comfortable in your comfort. You know there's a problem over there, but I've got my four square meals a day, a a roof over my head, my little family, my little life, and I don't need my feathers ruffled. Well, God ain't looking for people like that. He's like, I've got purpose to do in the earth and I'm looking for people who are gonna step in and be part of the solution to this situation where they see a need. And so Nehemiah needed releasing from the palace. And he knew that actually to go before the king and ask to be released would have meant the death penalty for him. This Persian king did not know our God Almighty. This Persian king couldn't care less about Jerusalem. So you can see the huge risk that Nehemiah was taking. I've got to somehow get the confidence to stand before the king and tell him, I don't want to work for you anymore. I want you to let me go so I can go and be a builder in Jerusalem. He knew the chances that he was going to take. And I just want to say to you, God knows what you need releasing from and what you need releasing into. For some of you in here today, God is going to release you from some relationships because he wants to release you into being a friend into somebody else's world. Not because you need more friends in your life, but somebody needs you as a friend in their life. For others of you, God is challenging you to release some finances. Not because it's a blessing to you in your world, but because others need to benefit from what you can give. And for some of you, God is going to ask you to release some of your time. And I get it. Life is really busy. It's busy for everyone. But not everything you're busying your life up with is to do with your purpose and time is running out. 
And God says, I need to fulfill my purpose in and through your life so I can bless you and you can be a blessing to others, but you're going to have to free some time up for me. Nehemiah loved the Lord and the outworking of that was though his own needs were met, he was moved with compassion to meet the needs of others. So the king agrees to release Nehemiah, which is a miracle of itself. And um, I think if I'd had the boldness to go before the king like Nehemiah did, and the king agreed to release me and let me go, I think I'd have bowed out of the king's quarters, groveling, I'd be like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'd have just got away. But Nehemiah, he has this audacious boldness about him. And he says, oh, thank you, King. Um, got a couple more requests to make. He says, um, King, do you think you could write me a letter with your seal of approval on it to grant me a safe passage between Persia and Jerusalem? As I travel across the different provinces, there was always a chance he could be kidnapped or locked up or killed. Or... So he says to the king, could you write me a letter so that I have safe passage? The king says, yes, Nehemiah, I'll write you a letter. Not only will I write you a letter, I'm going to send you armed guards to travel with you. Actually, I'm going to send a little troop around you of army to go with you to make sure that you get to where you need to be safely. And I want to remind you today that when you step out in boldness and faith to do the work of the Lord, that God Almighty, who has the angel armies of heaven, has gone before you, not only to give you safe passage to do what you need to do and accomplish, but to defend you and protect you. Psalm 91 says that he will will give his angels over you to protect you and to defend you in all of your ways. Some of you are not experiencing the power of angels over your life because you're sitting in your comfort and you don't want to move. But I promise you, when you step out in audacious faith, God says, I've got you. I am going to surround you and I am going to protect you. So no weapon that's formed against you will prosper because there's a work that needs to be done and I need you on assignment to do it. And then Nehemiah says, thanks very much, God. Something else I need to ask you as well, O king. Like you are such a rich and wealthy king in Persia um, and you own all the forests and all the woodlands. I'm just wondering if I could... Um, chop an orchard down or have half a forest. And somehow we could get those trees from Persia to Jerusalem because it would really help me in um, building the city again. I really could do with the wood to rebuild the city walls. And then he goes on to say this, oh yeah, I need a home to live in as well, King. But I love it. And the reason why passages like this excite me is because Nehemiah had the audacious faith to ask what he needed to complete the task that God had commissioned him to do. You see, a willing heart is no good unless it's partnered with practical generosity. The two have to go hand in hand. Some people are going to have all the fire and all the passion and all the willingness and other people are going to be called to release generosity so that the work of the Lord can be established. And then he says, but God, I need somewhere else to live as well. Because while you're giving attention and time to building the Lord's work, the Lord starts taking care of what matters to you. 
He knows your needs. He knows what you need in life. He ain't going to forget you because you have assigned yourself to building his work. And so the king says, verse 8, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of the Lord was on me. Isn't that amazing? So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and um, when it's really late one night, he and a couple of his friends, they go out to explore the city. They go out at night to investigate the state of the city walls. And it's, it's, it's such a descriptive book, Nehemiah. It's so worth a read. They go around and they go into the north and the south, the east and the west, talking about the different gates and the different parts of the walls. And they see what needs to be done. And the next day, he meets with Jewish priests, nobles, and officials. And uh, he makes this statement, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. So they all begin to rebuild the walls and everyone gets involved. It's amazing. The young and the old and the men and the women and the children, everyone. It gives a description in Nehemiah 3. It actually lists all of the people that were involved in rebuilding the wall. It talks about grandfathers working alongside their grandsons. It talks about the priests working alongside the blacksmiths and the temple servants. If you had a heartbeat, you were given a trowel and you were told, get mixed in the cement because together we're building the wall. And honestly, if this is not a picture of the church, then I do not know what is. If you were at volunteer night on, on Wednesday and you could see the volume of people that it takes that have committed to establishing and building the work of the Lord in the city, it is incredible. We have policemen and policewomen and doctors and lawyers and hairdressers and solicitors and artists. We have those who are employed and unemployed and people with letters after their name and those who don't even know their name. That's my mum. And so, and they're all working alongside each other to establish the work of the Lord in the city, saying we're in, we will do it. It's not about our position or our ranking or what society says we are. We'll just get involved together and we will rebuild the city wall. I say this all the time. God does not have favourites, but favour, certain favour, certain behaviour attracts his behaviour. And when you are willing to pay, play a small part in building and establishing the work of the Lord, you will find he will get involved in ways of, in your life that you just can't explain. Because when you take care of what matters to God, God starts to take care of the things that matter to you. We started this talk by looking at attention and distraction. One of the things that I admire about Nehemiah so much was his refusal to be distracted from the building of the city walls. He would not allow his attention to be diverted from the thing that he felt God had compelled him to do. Do you know how many people have great ideas and never see them through? Do you know how many ministries start and fail? Do you know how many people lose their passion for Christ after time. Yeah, I've been to a conference before. Yeah, I've worked in kids' ministry. Like, I've been there, done that, and worn the t-shirt. Since when 
Does the house of the Lord or the work of the Lord become that complacent in your life? Because sometimes doing the work of the Lord can feel mundane. It's not all just razzmatazz and exciting. But if you don't keep your eyes on God and say, Lord, even when it feels mundane and even when it feels like I've been doing this forever, I'm going to keep my eyes on you because I believe I'm doing what you've called me to do. If you don't do that, you will get distracted. It's what happened to the children of Israel. They were in the Sinai Desert. They should have been there for 10 days and they got stuck there for 40 years. Because when it got mundane and boring and it didn't look like God was going to answer them, someone said, hey, why don't we all melt our jewelry down and build a nice big shiny calf? And let's all worship the shiny calf because it doesn't look like the Lord God is answering our prayers. And so a whole generation got distracted and began to worship a golden calf and it cost them a lifetime but they could never get back again. So we must be distracted. You know what? There'll always, always be reasons for you to be distracted. But here's what happened to Nehemiah. The leaders from the surrounding provinces, they began to ridicule him, call him names. They began to make fun and laugh at the work that he was doing. They did this because they were fearful. They knew that if Jerusalem became a fortified city again, they knew that the power of Almighty God would reign once again, and they were terrified. So they began to try and distract the Israelites from rebuilding the wall. They ridiculed them, and they made fun of them. Their names were Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And um, this is what happens in Nehemiah 4. At last, the wall was completed to half its height. So they've built half the wall around the entire city. And the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sambalat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard of the work that was going ahead, and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were beginning to be repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. When you step out to do what it is God's called you to do with your life, the enemy will try and throw confusion at you so you second guess what you are doing. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah, they are the people who are building the wall with Nehemiah, began to complain. So here's poor Nehemiah, right? He's got the the people on the outside of the wall ridiculing him, making fun, sending him hate mail. Then he's got those who he is working with and trying to restore the city for are now getting tired and complaining too. The workers were getting tired and they were saying, there's so much rubble to be removed. We will never be able to build this wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down, we'll kill them, and we'll end their work. But the Jews who lived nearby the enemy, they came and told us again and again and again, they will come from all directions and attack you. Can you see what's happening? Nehemiah is not having one good report from anywhere. Not the people he works with, not his allies, and not his enemies. No one has got a good thing to say. I don't know if that hits home with anybody in here, but when you're building a work from the Lord, some people have some things to say about you. And so... 
I placed armed guards behind the lowest part of the walls and the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. It's a bit of a William Wallace of Braveheart, isn't it? Freedom. He's saying, come on, remember why we're doing what we're doing. This is your legacy. These are your people at stake. The Lord is on our side. Well, Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem, realizing that the wall is now being rebuilt, although the gates and doors had not been set up, sent a message to Nehemiah asking him to meet them outside one of the villages on the plains of Ono. So they now want to distract Nehemiah by telling him, hey, we need to meet with you. We want to talk with you. Can you come and meet us on the plains of Ono? If anybody asks you for a meeting in a place called Ono, don't go. Because like, it's in there. Like God was giving Nehemiah a clear message just by the sheer location. Don't go to Ono. And so... We talked earlier about our attention being like currency and when we spend that time, it's time that we can never get back and how the enemy wants to distract you. And so you will never have time to do what the Lord wants to do through you and bless you if you aren't determined in your mind what God wants you to do with your life. And the Bible is very clear on some of the things that God wants you to do with your life. One of them being plant yourself in the house of God. Because if you don't plant yourself in the house of God, I promise you'll never have enough time in the week to just keep dipping in and out of the house of God. You'll have all the intention to go to church, but you will never get to church. Another principle that is very clear in the Bible is about tithing. And if you don't form a habit of tithing, you will never have enough finances to give into the house of God. Though your intention will be right, it will never be. And so you know, we always run out of time. We always run out of money. We always never have enough hours to save. And yet... We seem to have enough time and enough attention to watch the latest Netflix documentary and we always have enough finances to subscribe to Netflix for said documentary, right? And I don't have anything against Netflix. I love Netflix. But my point is this, I'm using it as a metaphor to say that we do not realise that our time is being sabotaged and all the time the work of the Lord is being compromised. And God just wants us to get some priorities right in our life. So Nehemiah sought the Lord every day. He didn't just know what he had to do, but he sought the Lord for what he had to do. And when you seek the Lord every day, you know, the, you know how to discern between what is necessary and what is distraction. And in verse 3, so I replied by sending this message to them. So Nehemiah is replying now. He sends a message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I cannot come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? I think we need to just have a chat to ourselves sometimes. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. The fifth time, Sambalat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. He came with an open letter because they didn't have mobile phones, and they couldn't do nasty social media things, and they couldn't get on YouTube, and they couldn't do, you know, all of those things. And, but I want to tell you that this is thousands of years old. <laughs> But mankind has never changed. Distraction 
hate, malice, criticism. And this is what they said. There is a rumour. Hello, gossip. There is a rumour in the surrounding nations. And Geshem tells me it's true. What? We've not changed. Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel. That's why you're building the wall. According to the report, you plan to be their king. And he also reports that you've anointed prophets to proclaim about you and and how great you are. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest you come here and you talk with us. You see, when they couldn't distract him with their conversation, they're now going for his reputation. They're now saying, you're only building the walls to make yourself king. You're only doing what you're doing to make yourself look good. You've only done a church to build a platform for yourself. We've heard it all before because the enemy doesn't have anything new to say. It's the same old dross over and over again. And I replied, I, Nehemiah, replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. And he goes on to say, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. What do you do when you're being persecuted? What do you do when the haters are hating? What do you do when they ridicule you and laugh at you? You continue the work of the Lord with even greater determination. Building a legacy is something that's greater than yourself. Don't give your time over to arguing with a fool. Turn your back and continue building the work of the Lord. And the reason that he got on with the work of the Lord with great determination, because what they said didn't bother him. You mean nothing to me. You're not building this work with me. You're not establishing the walls. You're not praying for me. You're not paying for this. You're not encouraging me. You're not benefiting or blessing my life in any way. In fact, if you were to like me, it's not going to benefit my life anymore. So why should you hating me make my life even worse? I'm not going to allow your words to affect me. And I want to say to you today, whatever you do, don't come down off your wall. Whatever you do, do not let yourself be distracted or deterred from doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. And don't be the person sitting there saying, I've got nothing to do. God doesn't do. Oh, yes, you have. There is a plan and a purpose for your life. And it starts in the house of God. Here you will find identity and purpose. There's a saying that says, wherever my head goes, my hands will follow. The enemy knows that if he can distract your mind, then you will start paying time and attention and doing the thing that you're not supposed to be doing. That's why in chapter nine and chapter six and verse nine, Nehemiah prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands to do the work. He's saying, God, keep my mind focused on you so that I stay diligent doing what it is that you want me to do. God has put destiny in every single one of you. And he doesn't want you to step down off your wall because of naysayers and critics and what you might read and what you might see and what might be said about you. Stay at your post because the Lord wants to build something through you and he wants to bless you. Can we stand this morning, church? Building a legacy, it's building something 
that is way greater than yourself. Doing your life, it's not about me and my little world and just praying for God over my situation. When you step up and step out into the bigger and greater things of God, God begins to pay attention to every single one of your needs. Do you know because Nehemiah stayed focused? At one point they were complaining, we will never get these walls done. Do you know they built those walls in record-breaking time, 52 days? And actually the Bible, so specific, the month of October, the month of October is when the whole thing was completed. And I just want to pray as we end today's service, and I just want to pray that, you know, God will help to keep you focused, like that you build a great life. You will build a great legacy, that you will be part of the army of people who are establishing the work of the Lord in this city that we will unite together and we'll be there for one another when each other gets tired and when life gets hard, we'll be there for you. But we want to say, hey, listen, this is your home. And we appreciate everything that everybody does in this house, but it's not for me or for Luke or for this team. You're building a work for the Lord and the Lord is concerned for you. So, Father God, I just pray for every family that is represented here, Lord. I thank you, God, that your hand is upon them, that you want to establish your work in them and through them, that, God, you you have plans and a purpose. And, God, we can try and busy our life up with so much materialistic things, Lord God, and busy our world up with the next best thing and be distracted as the Israelites were with the next shiny thing. But God, the only true sense of fulfillment comes when we're following your plans for our life and we stay committed, God, to building a legacy here. Father God, I thank you that as we go about our work, that Lord, that week, our eyes are on you and we're focused on you and you help our mind and attention to stay stable. We love you, Lord. And I thank you, God, for everyone who calls this place their home. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.